Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Jill Cruz, ready to answer your medical questions. Dr. Cruz's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Cruz. Good morning, thanks for having me again. Absolutely, good to see you and um, have you in the studio with us today. We're going to be talking about organ donation this week. Um, that's kind of our Prairie Doc topic of the week. Um, and you wrote an essay this week for um, our local papers and our website. So if you haven't seen that yet, you can find that in Monday's Brookings Register or you can find it online at prairiedoc.org. Um, but in your essay about organ donation, you talk about um, a cousin who had a heart and kidney transplant. Could you tell us more about that and the impact these transplants had on his life? Oh, definitely. Um, it's cousin's husband, so okay, not direct relation. So I kind of got into this story after... Uh, his uh, heart transplant, but um, it he and his mother and sister all had a genetic heart condition, required them to need uh, transplants at a very young age. So he was in his 20s and needed a heart transplant, which, you know, sounds unheard of, but he and his sister, you know, both in their early 20s, um, due to this gene mutation, okay. um, ended up having a heart failure. And uh, prior to that, he was in the hospital on... Um, what's called an LVAD, a left ventricular assist device. So basically hooked up to this giant machine um, that was pumping his heart for him. Oh my goodness. And that, you, you really can't do much if you're hooked up to a machine dependent on that for life. I mean, right. so that was uh, very hard for him. And then when he did get his uh, transplant, um, again, he kind of got his life back. But uh, due to all the medications he had, uh, you know, leading up to that, and then with the anti-rejection medications, that was very hard on his kidneys, and he ended up needing to go on uh, dialysis. So um, he was on dialysis, and again, that's hooked up to a machine three times a week, you know, doesn't matter when. So anytime he and his wife wanted to go on vacation, they had to find a place that had a dialysis center mm -hmm. that he could get permission to go to and, and, you know, made sure that they had time. So it really limited how much he could do and how far he could go. I mean, they really didn't have vacations mm -hmm. to speak of per se when he was on dialysis. And again, when you're in your twenties and thirties, you know, you'd like to go places and, and have fun and, right. and do things. And if you're tied to a a dialysis center three times a week it makes it very hard and when he would get done with dialysis he'd be very tired it would wipe him out so that day is pretty much gone so you know you're kind of having a good day every other day mm -hmm. um, with the other day so he ended up uh, having a uh, kidney transplant his was um, from a cadaver donor okay. so someone who passed away and, and donated there with kidney transplants since we have two of them you can also do a living related um, to find like a family member that's a match uh, that could donate to you. Um, but that wasn't the way his. Obviously, heart has to be a, a cadaver because you only have one, so you can't really give your heart to someone else while you're alive. But um, after that, yeah, they have been taking vacations with their children. They have been, you know, uh, having 
so much fun and living their lives. He's a youth pastor, and so he's been, you know, just um, really working on his mission on, you know, spreading the gospel and love, and and he wouldn't have been able to do that without this because his life was so tight around his medical conditions and, and staying alive, and mm-hmm. now he can live and, and is outliving. I hear a lot. It seems more common that you hear about kidney transplants or a lung transplant, but a heart transplant, that yeah. sounds... Um, yeah major i mean all of them are major it was you know and you know people said to my cousin are like are you sure you want to marry this guy Mm. because you know this may not you know a transplant lasts 10 maybe 15 years and Mm. you know do you want to be a widow at 40 you know it and uh, thankfully his heart is going strong he gets yearly checkups at uh, university of iowa uh, medical center and he's had this heart for over 20 years and they're like this is outstanding and he's oh. going way longer than anyone anticipated and and thriving is there and if there were a concern or an issue is there an um, opportunity for another or is this yep. yeah there okay. would be an opportunity for a, for another transplant as long as he meets criteria and is healthy um, there just aren't enough organs to go around, so you end up going on the UNOS uh, wait list when you need a, a transplant. So um, that basically is a nationwide list that kind of prioritizes who needs the organ the most desperately. And then they look at trying to find that match for them, and if that match comes up, you know, you're basically waiting for your phone to go off to say, hey, get to the hospital right now. We've got a match. Right. That will change your life. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking more about organ donation this morning. Um, And so if you have a question about that, or if you have any other medical questions or topics you'd like to have Dr. Cruz address this morning, you can give us a call now at 605-692-1430. We need to take our first break, and we thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast Call us now at 605-692-1430 with your questions. Our programs are available on Apple Podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Vera Medical Group. The grass is growing and that means it's time to mow. Please remember these safety measures to protect your health. Wear goggles, hearing protection, gloves, and long pants. Always wear sturdy closed-toed shoes while mowing the lawn. Do not drink alcohol or use other substances before or while using your lawnmower. Do not remove safety devices or guards on the mower and never insert hands or feet into the mower to remove grass or debris. Parents, teach these safety measures to your children. This safety tip is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 6979500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to discuss your medical questions. So give us a call at 605-692-1430. We've been talking a little bit about organ donation this morning, and um, Dr. Cruz was sharing how a family member of hers had a heart and kidney transplant and how that um, affected his life. Dr. Cruz, can you tell us a little bit about how witnessing this impacted your own view of organ donation as you saw this um, experience for your family? Uh, Well, it it really didn't impact 
changed my view because I was always very pro organ transplant. Okay. Um, when I was in college, uh, so long before I, I met uh, Brett, um, my first surgery that I got to shadow with was a kidney transplant uh, down at McKinnon. So I got to watch a living related where, again, it was a cousin donated uh, their kidney to uh, their family member. And I got to watch that. And it was, it was amazing to, to see that as a college student, um, just to uh, learn that the process and all the things that go through to get an organ for someone and all the, the testing that has to be done. And then the commitment afterwards, because it's not you just get an organ and then you're fine. Um, you have to keep taking very expensive medications for anti-rejection because this is not your kidney. It doesn't belong in your body, and your body's immune system sees that and says, this shouldn't be here. It needs to go away, and I need to fight it because it's, it's foreign. So your body, you have to take these medications to basically calm down the uh, body from rejecting that organ or um, basically trying to destroy it because it says it doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot involved before the surgery uh, in, in finding the donor, whether you're, you're finding a living person um, a relation and to see if there's a match because there's all these antigens to try to minimize how much rejection there is. And um, if you don't have a, a living related, again, that would be with kidney and liver. Um, if you need something where you have to have a, a cadaver, again, finding that right match is, is sometimes very difficult and these people are literally waiting every day wondering is today going to be the day I get my organ or not so um, if they're going out of town or they're going to be on vacation or somewhere they have to let kind of the hospital know because when they get that call they have to be at the hospital within 30 minutes because that organ is only viable for so long so really once they harvest that the clock starts ticking. Hmm. So you mentioned the surgery you witnessed with the the living donor of a mm-hmm. kidney. Um, how does that work? Are they is are both surgeries kind of happening at the same time? Um, yep. they, kind they, of next door to they, each they other. They are. They were literally next door to each other. So one area they're harvesting um, the organ from the donor, mm-hmm. and then they literally clean it, uh, take it to the next room, and pass it off, and then implant it. And the interesting thing about kidney donation, something I didn't realize, is uh, I thought, oh, they're, they're going to put it in the back where the kidneys belong. No, they put it in the, the stomach, the lower abdomen. So uh, once you have a kidney um, transplant, you really need to give up uh, anything where you're going to be hit in the stomach. So you give up rugby, you give up football, <laughs> you give up anything where you know you could potentially have, because that organ now, instead of being kind of protected by the rib cage, is now kind of sitting up in front of your abdomen. And you can actually feel it and palpate it. It's kind of interesting to feel that there. Um, but it is, it's just amazing to watch this uh, organ when they reattach it to the blood vessels to watch it all of a sudden pink up. Oh. And then you start seeing urine come out of the, the catheter and you say, oh my gosh, it, it's already working. It, so it starts working, you know, the instant it gets put in and hooked up and it's, you just kind of sit there holding your breath, waiting for that miracle to happen. It's, it's amazing. That is amazing. I like have goosebumps listening about I know. that. Um, <laughs> So the the living donor, so you mentioned the the person receiving kit, the kidney has kind of some rewiring and, and it's different, but the living donor um, who gives up the kidney, what happens, how do they, what changes are uh, donors, the living donor's body after um, they donate a kidney? Well, they lose one rib. <laughs> they have to oh. take out a floating rib in order okay. to get the kidney. 
removed. Um, but you have two kidneys, and it's kind of a redundant system. So their other kidney compensates fairly quickly. Okay. And they generally don't have any issues or complications. They don't need to take any medications after the surgery, aside from you know pain medications while they're recovering. But uh, really doesn't impact their life you know, in, in any detrimental way. So, okay. Yeah. Just a little uncomfortable Just, for a little while. Yep, recovering from the surgery is going to be the biggest, biggest thing. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's so fascinating. So we've been talking a little bit about kidneys. What are some of the other common organs that are transplanted? Okay. So you can have a heart transplant, you can have a lung transplant, a heart lung where they do both together. Hmm. Uh, you can do liver transplant, kidney transplant, uh, cornea transplants to help with uh, uh, healing blindness. And then the other one that people, there's two other ones people don't think about as much is skin um, and tissue for like uh, people that have really bad burns and need skin grafting. So you can do um, skin and you can also um, sometimes do bone if they're doing back surgery and they, they're not using um, cadaver bone as much for back surgery, but that is something uh, that can be used. And then bone marrow. So in bone marrow, you can do living because your body replenishes that. Uh, and that's, um, again, they have bone marrow registries where you can, you know, they take a sample and then see if you're a match for someone because there's a lot of people that need bone marrow transplants. So if you decide you want to be um, an organ donor, mm-hmm. how do you make that happen? So um, the easiest way is to, when you're renewing your license, to check that little box of organ donor. And the other important thing is to talk to your family because if you're doing um, a donation after you pass, the family is the one that actually gives the permission for that. So um, you can have it on your license, but the family also needs to say, hey, this is what they wanted. And um, then we can kind of see if that's something where you're a candidate for because um, you know, just because you want to donate doesn't mean necessarily that your organs are going to be accepted. So if you're on certain medications or if you've had, you know, certain diseases, um, that kind of limits how useful certain donations are. Obviously, if you had like liver cancer, they won't want to donate your liver. Right. You could potentially give that to the um, person who's getting it. So, um, but they definitely, they've got a, a wonderful checklist that they go through in the ER and call up the organ donation um, center. And then they kind of walk through step by step, okay, what criteria do they meet for inclusion or exclusion of donating? And this usually is done fairly quickly after um, someone is pronounced dead. So, because again, once that clock, that heart starts stops beating, the clock starts ticking on when those organs can be harvested. So it's not something you get to decide two or three days later. It's too late. Okay. So. Fascinating. All right. Well, it's time to go to our next break. Uh, we thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK. And you can give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any of your questions you may have for Dr. Cruz this morning. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Being alone or with very limited social interactions during the pandemic can be difficult. With some effort on your part, there are some ways to decrease the effects of isolation. Keep a schedule. Stay active. Do something meaningful like working on your genealogy or organizing photo albums. 
Connect with others by letter, email, phone, Zoom, or try online games. Find comfort in old movies or lighting a candle and having a cup of tea. These are just a few ideas to get you thinking. You can do this. If you find your loneliness getting out of hand with feelings of depression, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We're talking about organ donation and how important that is this morning. Um, Dr. Cruz, you were just telling us about kind of the process after someone, if you choose to be a donor, to mark that off on your driver's license and then kind of that process that happens after someone dies to see about making those donations. Um, is there like an age limit or what are some of the like requirements? What are some of the cutoff? You mentioned yeah. maybe some medications or some if you medications have. and um, again health conditions. Again, if cancer, at one point uh, being HIV positive was something that was an exclusion criteria, but now it's not because there's so many patients with HIV that also need organ transplants. So um, they've really uh, changed that. So they're not going to give an HIV positive organ to someone who doesn't have it. But if uh, again we're working on matching, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to exclude someone just because of that um but really they've got this wonderful checklist that they go through to to see uh, what the criteria are and make sure that uh, everything that can be used will be used because you know it's not just one or two people that are affected by this up to eight people can be uh, benefit from one organ donation so and a lot of times um when families donate, you know, most of the time you think about young kids that were in motorcycle accidents or car accidents, and it's a way a lot of times that families say they want something good to happen out of this. Some, you know, if, if it's a terrible, tragic accident, you lose a family member and say, okay, I can't save their life, but I can still hear their heartbeat mm-hmm. in someone else's heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you see those stories where, you know, they go to someone's wedding and, and you know, listen to their heartbeat with a stethoscope and, and hear their child's heart still alive mm-hmm. and to know a part of them lived on after you know a, a terrible tragedy is um, one way to give families I think a sense of peace and a sense of some good coming out of a, a terrible terrible situation that no one would want to go through yeah I read that um, on on a website last night too that up to eight lives can be saved when you choose to be that's um, that's amazing yeah. to think about um, in your essay, you wrote, when I die, my organs, tissue, and cornea will be available to people in dire need of them. I don't want my body to be like an Egyptian pharaoh's tomb filled with treasures that could be better used by the living. I think that's such a great visual comparison to think about having all these treasures buried with you, that yeah. we don't need to take these things with us to the grave, but yeah. these treasures can be shared with others. Exactly. I mean, there's when I pass, they are of absolutely no use to me. And a lot of people worry about, well, will I still be able to have a, a funeral? Will I be able to have a viewing? And the answer is yes. You can. It's not going to interact with uh, funeral plans. It's not going to um, impact the ability to have a viewing of the body. I mean, they're very good at um, making sure that that doesn't... Uh, 
impact anything and then other people worry is there a cost to this so there is no cost to the donor or the donor's family or the donor's estate to donate an organ so you're really out nothing mm-hmm. you know and again you're it's it's going to be buried in the ground otherwise and and otherwise essentially wasted so if uh you know if my passing can bring life to someone else and it costs me and my family nothing why not right you mentioned connecting with um, families, connecting with the people who have received their loved ones' organs. Is that common? I mean, do you get notice like so and so received your organ, or does um, that take a little work? I think or? it takes a little bit of work and okay. permission on both sides. But I know the UNOS people are really good at you know um, making sure both are are okay with that. Okay, so. Um, you know, if you don't want to, you don't have to. And if the other side says, no, I'm really not comfortable with that. So they're really good at respecting uh, privacy and boundaries. But if both are open and, and willing to, usually that can be arranged so you can see the life you impacted. Mm-hmm. Very good. So um, we talked a little bit about people who have received an organ um, and had had a transplant. What What are some of the areas of concern for patients that you take care of that have had an organ transplant? Um, I would say worrying about rejection. That's kind of a a constant thing in the back of their mind is, is my body going to suddenly stop um, accepting and using this organ? So is there a a timeline for that? Like, can that, I mean, after six months, are you good? Or is this like a long-term concern? There's three different uh, types of reaction. There is immediate, what's called uh, hyperacute reaction. So during the time of surgery, they put it in and the body says, nope, not doing it. And you're in the the operating table and and it doesn't work. And then you're you know, if it's a kidney, that's one thing. But if it's a heart and it's not going, now what do you do? Because you've already taken out mm-hmm. the other heart. So mm-hmm. um, that is rare. And that's why we, they work so hard on trying to match the um, organ to the right person to make sure that they're as similar uh, with antibodies uh, as possible to uh, kind of limit that. And then there's acute rejection, which happens in the first weeks to months. And then there's a delayed reaction, which can happen years later. So it really, there's never a, a quote unquote safe time um, for reaction and, and rejection of an organ. So that's always there. And that's why we have the medications uh, to try to prevent that. And that's why people are, are constantly you know, having very close follow-up with their doctors. So, And... Um, is it true then that your immune system is often weaker? It's often because weaker of because we have to suppress the immune system from attacking the um, organ that has been transplanted. So, yeah, they're, they're much more susceptible to um, getting sick. So we have to watch out for that population and, and make sure that they get their flu shots. And, and you know, right now during COVID-19, I would be very nervous if I, you know, uh, were someone with a, a transplant about, you know, what are my risks around sure. other people? So another group that those of us who are mostly healthy mm-hmm. take extra if steps to protect to, them. Exactly. Wear a mask, wash our hands, mm-hmm. all those. Keep our social distance. Those are good yeah. reminders for um, who those people are that we're, we're doing that for. Right. That's a good, good reminder. Um, do they procure organs in Brookings if a Brookings residence is someone dies here in the Brookings Hospital and they want to donate organs, is that done right here? Or um, are they they transferred? Uh, You know, know, I honestly, 
haven't encountered that in my You're not part of that process. I'm not part of that process here. I would mm -hmm. assume that they would, like any other place, because um, I was down in Tyndall, South Dakota, and yeah, that's a much a smaller hospital than Brookings, and we had a patient that wanted to donate after they passed, and we called UNOS. They, I think, took them over to Yankton okay. and did the procurement uh, okay. surgery there. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have so it can certainly be coordinated it can here be in coordinated. Brookings, not sure what happens exactly Yeah, I'm not sure if it's done here, or it's usually a team that's uh, highly specialized in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, they try to do things as quickly as possible, and mm -hmm. I have every confidence that uh, we would get the right people in the right places to get it done here in Brookings. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then are the transplants are most done in our region are most done like around Sioux Falls and Sioux Falls. such yep, or yep, do we it, need to go further for some of those no, or? they have to be done at a transplant center okay so and um kind of depending on each organ so just because they transplant kidneys doesn't mean you'll transplant hearts um the heart transplants are generally done at the bigger centers like University of Iowa Mayo okay. uh, those sort of things um, Avera does do kidney transplants they do liver transplants and I know they do bone marrow transplants because I've seen all three of those done when yeah. I was a student mm -hmm. um, so it you really have to be at a transplant center in somewhere that's specialized that they know what they're doing and if you're someone who is needing that uh, definitely your doctors will get you to the right place and the right specialist to uh, make that happen. Okay. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break, and we will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Be aware, with warmer weather, you may find ticks. Ticks live in grassy, bushy, or wooded areas. Spending time outside walking your dog, camping, gardening, or hunting can bring you in close contact with ticks. To prevent ticks from attaching, treat your clothes and gear with products containing 0.5% permethrin. Permethrin can be used to treat boots, clothing, and camping gear and remains protective through several washings. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to discuss our medical questions today. Uh, we're just about to wrap up, but you might sneak one in at 605-692-1430. We're talking about organ donation today and how that um, all works for both um, living donors and individuals who choose to donate after death and uh, those people receiving a donation of an organ. Dr. Cruz, can you tell us more if you need an organ donation how does that process work? We yep. hear about lists and registries yep. and that. Can you tell us more about how that works? So when people talk about being on the list, uh, they're talking about UNOS, which is United Organ Network, U-N-O-S, yeah, system. Okay. Um, and what that does is it has a very complicated algorithm that takes different criteria um, your age, and then different scores that your doctor can calculate on basically how sick you are. And the sicker you are, the higher you bump up on the list, kind of the longer you've been there, the higher you bump up on the list. And um, that is uh, kind of what your different antigens are because they do a lot of blood testing to see um, 
who would be a good match for you. And then when they get an organ, they again do that same blood testing to see what the match is. And then they basically start at the top of the list and try to find the first person that's a good match. And they try to do locally first. Okay. So if there's an organ donated in Brookings, South Dakota, they try to find someone in you know this Brookings mm. or, or South Dakota region. Mm-hmm. If they don't find someone regionally, then they start going nationally. So, and again, the closer you are to where that organ that's been donated is the better because there's there's a clock that starts ticking as soon as that organ's harvested before it's no longer considered viable. Okay. So um, that really, um, that is the master list. You can't buy an organ. You can't, mm-hmm. yeah, unless there's black market. But the way to um, reputably get an organ is to, everyone's on that same list. So everyone's got kind of an equal chance, but um, equal in that those who need it most get highest precedence to get it and then again the best match gets that one first all right real quick we had two calls come in with questions um when you have an artificial um organ or something maybe when they use something artificial it says Mm -hmm. you do you don't need a rejection drugs is that true so yep because that's not living tissue okay so if you have an artificial heart valve that's either you know made of there's metal ones um there's so your body doesn't recognize that as an foreign organism okay in your body okay it doesn't have the the tissue receptors on it there's Mm -hmm. nothing for the immune system to attach to okay all right so then you you don't don't need those rejection drugs and then uh what can family members do to help or support a transplant recipient or donor um well, I would say having those conversations with your family members about what your wishes are um, to make sure that they know the donor so you can tell the hospital because, you know, we're not going to be rummaging through your wallet to see if you have that on your card mm-hmm. um, if there's an emergency going on. Our first priority is to take care of you and your life, and if uh, we can't bring someone back, you know, then we'll, we'll talk to the family. So uh, if you know a family member is a donor and they're, you know, in the hospital or or you know, if unfortunately they pass, you have to let the doctors know, hey, this is what their wishes were, uh, and can we go forward on that? Um, if someone's a recipient, I would say you know, support them and love them and, and help them live their lives to the fullest. All right. Thank you, Dr. Cruz. Well, before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. This week's On Call with Prairie Docs Summer Encore is Organ Donation, The Gift of Life, originally broadcast in August of 2019. So this episode does feature Dr. Holm with guests Dr. John Birdall of Vance Thompson Vision and Dr. Robert Santella of Avera Medical Group Nephrology in Sioux Falls. So you can watch that Thursday at 7. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for the Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Jill Cruz for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say... Stay healthy out there, people.